Welcome to this podcast called Curious About Recovery. I am Kirsten Honeyball. I am your host. And in this podcast, I will be diving deep into eating disorders, which are complex and challenging to navigate. So whether you're a sufferer, a professional, a family or loved one of a sufferer, you can join me as I get curious by interviewing professionals, chatting to eating disorder survivors and sharing my personal experience with an eating disorder so that you can better understand various perspectives remove stigma, hear inspiring testimonies, and simply get curious about all things eating disorder related. I would like to put out a trigger warning. These episodes explore the topic of eating disorders and some content may be triggering to listeners. Topics explored may mention, but are not limited to, trauma, diets, food and body types, suicide, mental illness, substance use, self-harm, violence, gender identification topics, and more. Please take care before listening to any episodes. It's important to note that this podcast is not aimed to diagnose, treat, or cure any form of mental illness and should not be seen as a replacement for treatment of eating disorders. Everything said here is expressed in relation to personal and professional opinions and listeners should be encouraged to view these episodes as an open-minded exploration of various possibilities and perspective rather than hard facts and solutions. Please take what applies or resonates with you and leave the rest. And if you're struggling with an eating disorder, don't hesitate to reach out to me at Kirsten at kirstenhoneyball.co.za. Today's guest is Jessie Hubner, and I've been so fortunate to connect with her because we're going to be talking about the importance of collaboration and community within the context of disordered eating recovery. So that not only speaks into the importance of having a collaborative team within an individual's recovery process, but also what does collaboration and, and community look like in a professional sense as well? And how are we as professionals connecting with the people around us? She's a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida and New Jersey. She's also got her LPC and her CED. SC, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, explaining exactly what that is. She is also the CEO and founder of Restored Purpose Counseling Services, which is a group practice that actually provides nutrition therapy and additional eating disorder services uh, in multiple locations in, in Florida. This practice serves all genders and clients ranging from age 12 and up. Jessie received her master's degree in mental health counseling from Liberty University in Lynchburg in Virginia. She's also an active member of IADEP, which is the acronym for International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, which we're going to dive into a little bit in today's interview. She has served in this chapter for over three years in the south of Florida. She is the founding president of the Jacksonville IADEP chapter currently and is a certified eating disorder specialist consultant. She is also trained in EMDR therapy. She has extensive experience working in all levels of a care from residential, uh, PHP, IOP, outpatient roles, in roles of therapist to clinical director. She believes in giving back to the community and as such has been a committed member to the National Alliance for Eating Disorders, 
currently she assists in leading their free community support groups and and serves on the board for the IADEPT local chapter. Jessie comes from a health at every size or other known as Hayes approach and believes in meeting clients exactly where they are. Her treatment approaches include the following proven methods, which are CBT, DBT, strength-based therapy, EMDR and motivational interviewing. She uses these modalities to help others see and believe that they can be made whole again, living a life of purpose and intentionality. Jessie also provides business coaching for clinicians growing their private practices and looking to scale beyond their solo practice. She is also a qualified supervisor in Florida and helps equip the next gen- generation of therapists working towards licensure. It's going to be a really interesting chat to talk to her about all of these different elements. We're going to go into her experience in different levels of care, her experience with IADEPT and serving uh, for the community within the professional context and touching on the importance, like I said, of community within the eating disorder recovery process. It's lovely to have you on the show. I'm really, really excited to get chatting today. I'd love to know, other than what we've said in your bio, just if you could tell me a little bit more about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, and what kind of brought you to working in the space that you're in right now and specifically with eating disorders. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so first off, I'm Jesse Hubner, and I'm based out of Florida, and I am a licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, consultant. Noish uh, words that they've used from supervisor. Um, so, what I do is I started in a solo practice with the heart and desire to work with eating disorders, and quickly realized that I really wanted to focus on a group practice and really train and equip other clinicians to work with eating disorders. And so that went quickly from a solo practice to a group practice. And we were about four and a half years old. And we, I just love it. Like what um, my passion is from my own struggles with the eating disorder in high school and college, and just seeing the need for individuals to feel confident and secure in the body that they have and the society pressures. So that's where my passion for it came from. And I just is like the most refreshing thing to do every day is to help families, individuals struggling with the eating disorders and helping them find freedom and confidence and security in their bodies. It's lovely to hear that you are a person who's kind of coming from a space of lived experience. Would you like to share a little bit more about your journey through um, recovery and what kind of helped you along the way? Sure. So for me personally, it was back because I'm I'm not going to date myself, but this was before eating disorders, I feel like were as accessible for treatment and talked about Um, because if we put myself in high school or going back several decades. So things have definitely been evolved more. But back then it was, I mean, I feel like now in a place where I can say, I feel like it was pretty stereotypical. I was a cheerleader. I um, was just a drive for like wanting this certain image of what society was pushing for what I looked like. And because my body didn't match what I felt like I was seeing everywhere and what like, quote unquote, a cheerleader was supposed to look like, I started engaging in all kinds of dieting. And then that quickly led to, you know, restrictive and other kinds of behaviors. And, and it was all in secret, like nobody knew, didn't share it. So that then kept like the shame. And then I finally like shared with a couple of people. And I feel like sharing with somebody helped me 
have a little bit more accountability. I have been through some other, you know, counseling things because I was struggling with all kinds of things as a high school student. And then I thought I had gotten it better, went off to college. And as we know now, like years later, that going to college is a big trigger. You're alone. You have so much more space. Um, And my eating disorder took a big plunge and like actually probably got the worst that it ever been. And I just kind of hit this space where I was like, I can't keep living like this. And I kind of just like on my own, which this is not normal, but on my own and I'm a, a big person of faith. And I feel like that was something like reaching out to local people for for support. And maybe they didn't understand what I was dealing with and couldn't, you know, like give me the advice or the guidance, but they helped me overcome where maybe I was having a lot of loud voices in my head that day. I could reach out and like instantly get some support via text. And um, so that really helped me. And then just making the decision that this wasn't the path I wanted to go down. I didn't want to like let my eating disorder rule my life. And that's kind of slowly ups and downs. It wasn't a perfect recovery. And then I think the place for me finding full freedom was when I learned about the term diet culture and really learned that maybe I was symptom free, but I was still kind of dabbling in the diet culture. And I think that was like pivotal for me when I came across like intuitive eating and learning about some of those principles. I feel like that's when I truly found food freedom and mind freedom. And it's been amazing. And I think I can relate. Maybe I can't say, Hey, I've been to this you know, treatment center, or I've been a client in X position, but I can understand the struggle and like, they can't, it's not something you can just do by yourself for sure. Being a college student and an adolescent, you know, years ago before eating disorders kind of, I don't know if they became more prevalent, they just became more spoken about. And I think it's, it just rises such an important point for me is that eating disorder treatment is still in its infancy in terms of any kind of mental health uh, therapy therapy, or um, uh, there's not a lot of access to adequate treatment around the world. I know in Australia and in America and probably the UK, they, they're doing quite good work, but um, in other places and other countries, it becomes uh, quite inaccessible to get treatment and, and just recognizing how just a few years ago, it wasn't even kind of considered a, a part of, I remember my, my grand once told me that she had an eating disorder and people would just be like put in psychiatric wards and that's where they were just put and they were kept there, you know. And so just reminding us of the importance of the infancy of the eating disorder treatment modalities and all of that um, and why podcasts like this are so important is because we're creating awareness around this very, very real thing that kills thousands of people every year um, and really needs to be more spoken about, more researched and all of that. So that's just a little side note. Um, (laughs) It's also very interesting that you said that you had this ideal cheerleader uh, look that you needed to go for. And I'm, I'm assuming that was in your peers, not necessarily on the internet or social media or like stuff like that and how much worse it is for people now who have those influxes all the time and that diet culture stuff. When I got my eating disorder, this was before the internet really, like it was just starting to come out. Like, and then there wasn't like Instagram, there wasn't TikTok, there wasn't Facebook, like none of that stuff. It was literally fashion magazines and things like that. And then just the comparison, it just goes to show that body comparisons don't change like 
I think they increase now that we have so much to compare to. But back then, it was like, for me, I was just like, I wanted my body to look like X person. And it didn't look like that because my body wasn't genetically designed to look like that. And so I was, you know, that's where my um, obsession came with trying to look a certain way that I think once I came to the end of myself of like realizing like acceptance or even just like body neutrality of like, maybe I don't like love every aspect of my body, but I appreciate it and the functionality and like, and then slowly with time, which I always say that when I'm working with my individuals is body image is usually the hardest thing to kind of like fully come to like, we don't always have to go to body except a body positivity. Oh, I love my body. It doesn't mean like all the time. I love everything about my body. It's coming to a place of realization of this is the body I'm in. And I'm going to learn to accept like whatever functionality it does for me. Like being able to, you know, honor it with like the things you wear and in the enjoyment of movement that feels right for your body and not need to, oh, well, this is the hype. I have to do this and I have to look like this and I have to wear this, like just coming to like, okay, what respects and honors my body? Yeah. That it, you raise such a, a important point there with this idea of body image being one of the one of the hardest things to feel full acceptance and full like if you want to say quote unquote recovery from is this because I, I see this in a lot of my clients um, and I've even lived this experience where you could let go of the thoughts you could let go of the behavior and all of that stuff but there's still this body image issue that kind of lingers I love this thing that you said about listening to what it is that your body wants in terms of the body image tying in with learning what your body wants in terms of food and exercise and rest and community. One theme that I kind of picked up in that journey for you was the start of the eating disorder being a, a comparison and the kind of full circle coming to healing being the community. And, and I see that in so many people. It's like it starts in comparison. When you're in comparison, you're in your illness. And when you're in community, it, it has a healing property it has healing properties to it so um, I know that eating this sort of community is a really big thing for you it's, it's a big part of your, your the work that you do professional collaboration all of that so what is being a part of the eating disorder community mean for you as a professional and furthermore what is the importance of community in eating disorder recovery for an individual so I'll start with the importance of having community as recovery. And that's the beauty of like support groups or um, just being in groups or finding people that are along the journey. I always say it's good to find someone maybe a little bit ahead of you because if you're both in the really deep trenches of your eating disorder, it might be hard at first, but then it is finding someone that's maybe a little bit ahead and it's like, oh, I've been there. I can help you. Like, I know what you're feeling or like, it's that ability to, it's like you're feeling down, they kind of can pull you up, so to speak. And that's where I think community is vital in the recovery process. And then as far as like professionals, I think it's so like, just like we need, we're not meant to do life alone. And professionally, like if you're in a solo a solo practice. Sometimes it can feel very isolating and very alone. But when you get in together with other professionals that are like-minded and are trying to grow and learn, and you're be able to bounce ideas off each other, be able to collaborate on cases and consult so that you're not stuck like, oh my goodness, I don't know where to go with this particular individual I'm working with and feeling stuck. Like you can talk to other colleagues and get their insights that might have 
fresh perspectives. And then it's just nice. You're in treating eating disorders and working in the eating disorder industry, period, is hard work. We're we're holding a lot of space and it's nice to be able to have other people to do it together and be able to um, just have that um, recharge together. So important, this part um, of support groups that you mentioned, being in a support group or having people that support you that are maybe a little bit further along in the journey uh, being quite important and, and just sharing a little bit of my experience and this might be helpful and relatable to some listeners is this idea of sometimes a support group can actually be harmful if the people aren't um, re recovery and solution oriented. Um, and I experienced this in, in some support groups that I went to that I, I would leave the group feeling worse than when I got there because I knew that the people were kind of pulling each other down in their sharing and, and, and you know, I mean, not that they're to blame. They didn't know any better. I, I just find as well in support for eating disorders, there's so few people who are actually fully recovered in comparison to the people who are still in the eating disorders. And it can become a really, really hard space, a hard thing to find someone who is ahead of you. Then also in the terms of the professional space, a lot of the time there are people operating on their own. Um, I've also experienced this. I'm just a solo coach and Sometimes I have questions and the, the, the best place I can go there is the eating disorder professional group on Facebook where you converse and everything. But to have that collaboration where you actually have a team um, is so much more, I think, authentic, um, meaningful. Are you developing relationships and that kind of stuff? How would you advise a person who is within a group of people that they've reached out to support and that support system is not not holding them in the way that it needs to? Now they're feeling isolated or alone. What would you advise for them to, uh, how would you advise them to reach out? Where could they find help? Um, do you know any of these kinds of resources specifically for the eating disordered individual? Yeah, so... So thankfully, there's an amazing nonprofits that provide free clinician-led groups. I would definitely highly recommend the National Alliance Awareness for Eating Disorders. They provide tons of free clinician-led groups that are virtual and in-person, and those virtual can help anybody around the world. You just have to figure out what time zone it is in and how it fits into your needs. And they do a really, really good job at ensuring that the topic does not get to that place where you're mentioning where sometimes you can leave and you feel more ugh, than you did when you came. And so that's the importance of support groups is the person leading it and the containment, meaning that it's safe space. We're not going to sit here and share gory details of things that are going to probably trigger or make somebody leave feeling worse than they came. So they do a, a really great job at making sure we're staying like recovery focused. That's one. And then Project Hill is also another really great one that is a nonprofit that will help with pairing you with people. They help with like pro bono, like say you don't have the ability to access treatment. They do a good job with like scholarships and there's people that provide therapy and nutrition that do it for pro bono. So those are two of the top ones that I highly recommend. Your practice, what is, what is your team made up of and why do you feel that those uh, kind of roles and players in the team are important for the work you do? Sure. So my um, group practice is called Restore Purpose Counseling and we're based in Florida. We have a couple different locations, Jacksonville and Winter Park, and then we're virtual 
Um, we consist of about 13 therapists and three dietitians. The importance of having a team on your recovery journey is vital. Like having a therapist, having a dietitian, having your primary care doctor a part of it. And if you are someone that needs any kind of um, psychotropic medications, that you have a psychiatrist involved as well, and that we're all collaborative. Like we are in communication. We know what the right hand and the left hand's doing. We're not like over here, a therapist is saying this, dietitian is saying this, doctor is saying this. Like we're all in sync. And we're the goal is to have a unified approach in combating the eating disorder. We're fighting to get your life back. We're trying to get the eating disorder to be um, gone. So that's the importance there um, because eating disorders aren't just a psychological, they're also medical, nutritional, and emotional. So it is important to get all the components. I'm a, I'm a therapist by trait, so I am not an expert in dietetics. That's why it's important to have a dietitian that would then be able to speak to your nutritional needs and your growth chart and other things that might be vital from that perspective. And I think that an individual has higher likelihood of sustaining and achieving full recovery when they're working with a team that are all in sync and working on the same goal. Yeah. And I see that error happens so many times is where uh, someone will experience an eating disorder and they'll go just to a dietitian or just to their doctor or just to their psychiatrist or their whatever. Um, and often they, they, it leaves so many gaps unfilled. And so just emphasizing the importance that it may be a hectic process, but there are some free resources out there. There are dietitians working pro bono. There are therapists working pro bono. There's, there's a lot of free stuff that you can get out there if it becomes a cost issue. But at the same time, just recognizing the importance of that team and kind of collective collaborative approach to the treatment pro process, um, heightening your chances of actually reaching a full recovery, which is super, super important. Talking about communities, uh, you also are an active member of the IAEDP, which is the International Association of Eating Disorders professionals. <laughs> I knew I was going <laughs> to struggle with that. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what this association does and what your role is or has been and what that experience has been like? We often refer to it as iADAPT. And so here I have been a part of iADAPT for, mm, I forget what year I'm in, but I would say a good five years of like solid like involvement. And to me, it just provided a space of building community again with like-minded dietitians, therapists, psychiatrists, uh, pediatricians, like where we come together, we have events where you'll learn something, maybe it's a, a continuing education topic, and it could be a variety of topics, which has always been something I love that it's vision is to bring education to the community. And, um, and then other times it's a, a networking and, and you're building those relationships. So then you feel very comfortable referring to your colleagues because you actually have gotten to know them. Um, so my role currently is I actually started a chapter in Jacksonville, Florida. So I'm the founding president and have really been establishing this eating disorder community in the Jacksonville, Northeast Florida area. And it has been almost two years now. And I feel like we've really grown momentum and brought some really great education, some great speakers. And then we've had some times where we 
get together for like mix and mingles and some fundraising. Like uh, the last two years we did uh, a, a gala. We raised money for the National Alliance for Eating Disorder. And then we raised money for Project Hill. So um, it's really great. So it's not only bringing education, but we also are giving back to our community and just a great way to, to build support again, so that you know who to refer to. And maybe you're someone that is struggling with education and you want to work with eating disorders, but you didn't get trained. Like if you are, if we're honest, like the schooling for dietetics and for um, even for medical and for therapists, we might have gotten one hour class on the topic of eating disorders. This is where you can get more trainings where you can talk about how do I treat someone of all sizes in recovery? How do I look at the medical complications? What's the importance of having a dietitian versus just doing therapy? Like all these different topics and then, um, and so much more. Like I'm excited we have one coming up on the topic of OCD and eating disorders, which often get confused. So again, it's just a great place to learn, grow and build community. Um, So I love it and pretty passionate about it. (laughs) That uh, topic you just said, the OCD versus eating disorders, and the the why they why they get confused. I feel like that's a whole podcast episode on its own. <laughs> so definitely putting that one in the bag. So for for anyone interested in the idea conferences and that kind of stuff, like how could they get involved? Um, how do we find out more about this? And where are these events held primarily? I mean, I know it's international, but is there a virtual location or how does it work? Currently, there's several chapters throughout the United States, and I believe they're starting to get some more international too. Just depends on the locations. And again, it takes a person that's of interest to kind of, you know, hey, I want to start a chapter here. So it, it is it does take energy to start one. I will say it's not like a blink, bam, everything's done. It's like starting a business, the goal of building that community. So I would say iadeptfoundation.com or .org is probably the best place. And then on there, I usually list all the different providers or all the different chapters. A lot of people are on social media. So I'm sure even if you like did um, iadept you know, a bunch of different chapters would pop up and then you can like, oh, I live in Texas. There's a local chapter here or things like that. I know we typically promote all of the educational events. And I would say 50-50, I'd say 50% are probably all in person, 50% are probably virtual. So the ones that are virtual are easy for anybody to join anywhere. So there are chapters that are still just continuing the virtual platform. IADEP does a national symposium and what it's going to be in Orlando in March. And then that one probably will be available to view virtually over the summer. That's how they've kind of been doing it. So I think it's good access to education. Okay. So just out of curiosity, if there were, say, a podcast host in South Africa wanting to start a chapter, (laughs) what would the reality, like, how would that, you know, are people from around the world able to reach out to, you know, start chapters, start, you know, start building communities. Because again, you say the importance of community, not only for individuals, but for professionals as well. So uh, is that a possibility at all? So I cannot speak from international experience. I can only speak from in the States since it is a organization that started in the States, but it is international. So I know there are people that are in different countries. So essentially, if someone is looking to start, they would reach out and begin the process. And there are a few basic things that you have to have in place. Like if I wanted to start a chapter by myself and I didn't have anybody else 
interested, I might not have a good like likelihood of it being brought to fruition. So for me to apply to start the chapter, I needed myself in to form like a small team, a secretary, a treasurer, and a vice president, and me as the president that were committed to doing this chapter. And then 10 other people that were interested. So other professionals in the community, they were interested in being a part. And then we just signed this little thing. And then that started the process. And and from the moment we entered to the moment we like became a true chapter, I think it took maybe five or six months. So again, it's really just assessing the, the people in the area that are willing to do it because it does take energy and effort to put on an educational events and to host these things. And um, this is where a lot of eating disorder treatment centers, they're sponsors and they sponsor and help us be able to provide speakers and events and stuff like that. So I am um, pretty connected to most treatment centers in the States. And so I was able to get a good amount of people to sponsor our chapter, which also helped and helps bring awareness that there are access to treatment. So South Africa, I'm not as familiar, so it might be <laughs> a different story, but they can start and see, you never know. Cause I'm, I'm, I definitely think that eating disorder access is something that needs to broaden besides like, like you mentioned the, the few spots that it's higher in. Just to round up on that question um, or that topic, the the thing there and the theme is just the importance of like creating community and like, in isolation, we're not going to get, really get much done for our individual healing or the healing of the, the collective, you know. So really, really important for us as, as professionals to be connecting. Coming into, again, this, um, this space of collaboration and community, uh, speaking into your time working in residential PHP, which is partial hospitali- hospitalization programs, and IOP, which is intensive outpatient programs. I just had to get those acronyms right. Um, and also out, outpatient pr- programs. Um, what has your experience in these different levels of care been? Um, have you seen any things that have been um, really positive at certain levels? Um, maybe some some gaps, um, anything that, I don't know, I don't want to say bad experiences because you don't want to, you not, might not necessarily have like something bad to say about it, but maybe just a, a brief overview of kind of what your experience of, has been like in those different levels of care. Ah, sure. So residential level of care is that 24-7 wraparound constant support. So I think this, honestly, it might, some people might not agree with me, but I'll say it's the easier level because you have 24-7 support you're removed from your home environment. So you don't have access to maybe isolate or do other things. You have meal supports, all of your meals. And if for whatever reason, you're not at a place where you're able to nourish your body through eating, maybe you have to get on a feeding tube. Like there, there's support there, there's medical, there's leverage. Typically you're there and you have to sign like some kind of, you know, against medical advice to leave. So I think that one honestly is the easier lever to propel your recovery um, because you removed yourself from the stressful environment or your triggering environment. So that's my take on residential. And then it gets you on track. You're nourishing your body. You're used to having your whatever meal plan it is, whether it's three meals and like two to three snacks, whatever individually it is. And then when you go down to the lower level of care, it is a huge shift from 24-7 to oftentimes 
depending on the program you pick, it might only be five days, six hours a week. So that's a huge shift. Either way, you're having a lot of independent time. Honestly, PHP and IOP are the harder levels of care. You have the access, if maybe you're not fully committed to the recovery process, to engage and to make choices that are not pro-recovery. If you don't have a supportive family or a support system in place, then it can be even harder outside of treatment. Because if you maybe live alone or your family is not as committed to supporting you, having breakfast at home by yourself might be really hard. So it does make it a little bit harder, but I think it also gives you more real life experience because you're not in that 24-7. So you also have opportunity to have support in groups, therapy, nutrition, meal support, all of that. And then you go home and can apply the things that you learn. Maybe you're feeling distressed. Okay, I just learned this DBT skill of distress tolerance. I'm going to practice self-soothing and I'm going to eat my meal even though I don't want to because this is where I'm trying to go is trying to get to the place where I don't need to be in treatment. And then IOP is usually nine hours a week, three days a week, three to four days a week, depending on the treatment center. Every center is different. Some have it up to seven days a week, but that's usually a meal in two groups. And so you do have that ability to practice eating with individuals. Maybe you practice some of your challenge foods, and then you have groups that might, that's where you can bounce things off and feel that connection. You're not alone with the thoughts that you're having and you can learn skills. Um, And then IOP is the, I mean, sorry, outpatient is the lowest level of care. That's where you're maybe doing one hour of therapy, one hour of nutrition, maybe a little bit more, but that one is definitely where some people come and that's where it's important. Like I, my team is very equipped on like, we're the gatekeepers. They came to us, we're going to do a clinical assessment. And if they're not in the appropriate level of care to reach the most best support for them, we're going to make sure we help guide them to that. Whether they come in thinking, oh, I just need to see a therapist. Okay. Actually you are medically unstable and we need to get you into inpatient. And so we're going to walk through that and help them be there. And then on the flip side, when they've come through the process and have, you know, been down levels of care, they're a lot more active in the recovery process because they're nourished, their brains are fully functioning and things like that. And I think that that's, again, why it's important to have a team because you might go to a therapist and a therapist might not necessarily know that you're medically unstable and maybe need intensive care. Again, emphasizing that importance of collaboration, uh, finding a team um, and recognizing that there are different levels of care um, and there are ways to incorporate your your normal life in your treatment process if residential treatment isn't accessible or available to you Um, or maybe if you don't even need to be in residential treatment. So again with the professional kind of support community and everything you mentioned earlier about being CEDS this supervision kind of word that you've got at the end of your credential. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about what this is and what it's taught you in your approach to eating disorder therapy? Could you tell me a little bit more about what this specifically is? Sometimes it's referenced as SEDS, SEDS, um, but it's Certified Eating Disorder Specialist Supervisor Recently Changed to Consultant. So typically, there's a process to becoming a Certified Eating Disorder Specialist. This is through IADEPT. It involves educational courses that teach on four different components, like an overview of eating disorders, the therapeutic approach to eating disorders, nutritional approach to eating disorders, and medical complications of eating disorders. So it gives you a good 
overview of all those different components. And then you are required to do two 2,000 hours that are direct eating disorder related care. And 500 hours can be whether it's like reading, attending educational courses, involvement in the community, your consultation supervision hours. Um, and you do have to have a minimum of two years under an IADEPT approved consultant and have at least 24 hours of supervision. So it is a bit of a, a process and it can be daunting, but it is to me, I think it helped me ensure I didn't just like do this quick process and I'll okay, I'm, I'm an expert. I had to do a lot of direct hours with eating disorders and be able to fully conceptualize and come up with a treatment approach for eating disorder individuals. So that to me, I personally love investing in the next generation and the next upcoming individuals that are wanting to work with eating disorders to help bring education, to help support them on their cases when they, oh, this person came in and they mentioned this and then being able to dissect and be able to get a little deeper into maybe they're just like saying this, but really there's a little bit more there and we dig into it and are able to like collaborate again, the importance of having other professionals in it where we do get a good glimpse. Like I'm very equipped to read growth charts and can look at labs and like see different things. Whereas like, if I didn't go through this process of like educating on different things from that medical perspective and the complications that can occur, I wouldn't understand what is orthostatic vitals, you know, like those types of things that are very common in individuals with eating disorders that through this process of learning, I was able to feel more confident in it. So I think it's, I think it's a very good thing to do if you're interested in working with eating disorders and having a little bit more of that expertise. It's not required, but I think it's a great process. Having that extra education allows you to understand so much more about the process. I mean, there's so many people trying to help out there, but if you're not educated in what eating disorders actually are and all the little complications that can come and big complications that can come up along the way, there might be something that goes un- unseen or missed for the purpose of a person's well-being to reduce the fact, reduce the chances of that being missed is really, really important. So is there anything else that you feel that you'd like to share with the listeners? I guess the biggest thing I would say is if you're somebody interested in working with eating disorders, maybe you're considering getting in the field, or maybe you already are in the field, I would highly advise seeking out some type of supervision. It doesn't mean you have to go through a certification process. There's all kinds of supervision groups from all different people's lived experiences. And that's going to be such a valuable asset to help you gain the knowledge to treat those with individuals, those individuals with eating disorders versus, okay, I want to treat eating disorders and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just going to start doing it. We don't want to cause harm. So definitely reach out and get involved and learn from other people that are farther along from you. It's There's people that will mentor you, that will take you under your wings and like help equip you to treat those um, struggling. Yeah. And even if you, I think as a professional uh, or someone wanting to help people with eating disorder recovery is even if you aren't specifically going for training, I, I'm, I'm guessing you would be able to attend things by IADEPT to learn more. Um, and there's mul- multiple resources online as well, which would be really, really valuable. Do you have a favorite quote or resource book, anything like that for recovery from eating disorder? Some of my biggest books that I like are like, because I like, I'm, not, I'm a big person that likes to learn. Um, so I love intuitive eating. Obviously that one's a really great book, but also another one that I love to read was, uh, Dr. 
by Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani is sick enough. And that's definitely more of the medical side, but I just really, really thoroughly enjoyed reading that. And there's plenty of like podcasts like this and other podcasts that are great resources to use. I think one of my favorite quotes, honestly, is progress over perfection as it is a journey and the end goal isn't perfection. That's so beautiful. And it's, it's, I think it's said a lot in like 12 step recovery models and that kind of thing, progress, not perfection. And, and I think we, we say it so often that sometimes we, we forget how simple that, that beautiful and powerful statement is, is it's, and when we really actually apply it to ourselves, we can look, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be perfect in this process, but I can make one small step towards my recovery today. One small step towards building community, one small step um, towards collaborating with other people and, and really just diving into the toolbox of the recovery toolbox that is available to you. So thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I'd love to know, you know, where we can find you if we're looking for you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So you can follow me on Instagram at Jess underscore Hubner and it's H-U-E-B-N-E-R. And then my website is jessiehubner.com. Or um, if you're interested in any of the group practice that we are able to serve, it's Restore Purpose Counseling. Um, so the Instagram is Restore Purpose. The website is myrestoredpurpose.com. And those are some of the ways that you can find us. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you have liked it, share it with people who you think might benefit from listening to it as well. Don't forget to go to my Instagram page called at Curious About Recovery to find out about upcoming episodes or to browse the episodes of the past. You can also follow my page called at Kirsten Honeyball where you can get inspiration for your eating disorder recovery.